Hello, you are listening to Mediation Station, and this is your host, Greg Fenton. Each week we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greggf at primus.ca and 647-227-4734. Visit our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. You can also visit YouTube with both CHHA, 1610 AM, and also Greg Fenton to see some videos of Mediation Station. Also, you can listen to podcasts of each radio show by visiting soundcloud.com and pcrtoronto.org whenever you want. Our topic for discussion tonight is, I've had it, how about you, with our visitor, Debbie Kassir, who will be with us very shortly. Also, I want to acknowledge there's another person in the room. Hi there. How are you doing tonight? Good. I'm also thinking that we have the J and the D and Jade here. So what would you call that? Jud? Juddu. <laughs> Jud? Juddu. What's Jade? Do a uh, quick uh, Oh, Jade is our mediation it. practice group. The uh, four of us, myself, Debbie, Ashley, and Eileen, uh, put together for new, for new graduates of dispute resolution programs for... For practicing our skills and creating a community of uh, conflict resolvers. Uh-huh. So two members of that group. Is yeah. You're yeah. one. Two out of four. And the one right Besides across from me. me. Yeah. Our special visitor tonight. A partner yeah. in crime. <laughs> Debbie. Debbie Kassir. Debbie Kassir. Yes. And Jade, Jade has been growing, going strong now for a year. And we have plans out to the end of June. So we're planning to uh, be in this for the long run. So if people want more information on that, how can they access that? They can contact jade.groupinfo at gmail.com. And Ashley's the person that communicates. And so if they have um, any questions or are interested in becoming part of our email distribution list, they should um, uh, write to that. So, again, it's jade.groupinfo at gmail.com. So Jade is J-A-D-E, as we mentioned. And you're the J, Joni. I'm the J. You're the D. I am. Debbie. There's Ashley, who's not here. And there's also Eileen, Eileen who's out in Durham Region. So for tonight, we're uh, having a topic for conversation. I've had it. How about you? (laughs) (laughs) And maybe that's how I feel, and I want to go home now. (laughs) So, Debbie, you've been here a few times. Yes. And so welcome back. Thank you. How have things been for you since your last visit, which was in July? Good. Um, my business beyond conflict is continuing to go well. Um, my focus is on the workplace, and I do mediations, conflict management coaching, and workshops on conflict. And I had um, financial goals for myself for my business, and I'm pleased that I will have met them by the end of the year. So I'm pleased with how that's going. So all all good. All good. Yeah. I know that one of the. Uh previous topics that you were here for in January of 20, this year, 2017, which I haven't gotten a chance still to edit because I'm backlogged. Not to worry. One That topic was on building a practice as a mediator. Yes. Yeah. So have you found your journey is following the path that you've hoped for? Yes, I'd say for the most part, but I think also when one has a business, you have to be flexible. Um, you do lots of networking and um, new opportunities present themselves. And 
and being flexible enough to see which are the ones that you want to do. The, the part that I've done is I've, I've stayed true to uh, focusing on the workplace. At one point, I was tempted to look at also doing condo mediations, but I realized it's much better to go deep within the, my area of focus. So I'm staying true to, to focusing on workplace. Okay. And for you to be flexible, I think that would be one of your core skill sets as a mediator because you're always dealing with unexpecteds. Absolutely. And you got to go with the flow. And Absolutely. Okay. So recently, though, you were also in Newfoundland. Yes. Out east to do a presentation at a conference. So what was that about? So it was um, our Jade group that was presenting at the ADRIC conference. What's ADRIC stand for? Oh, the Alternative Dispute Resolution Institute of Canada. And our focus of our presentation, our workshop rather, was um, it was like a primer. It was a how-to for other people in other parts of Ontario or Canada that would like to set up a mediation practice group. And one of the philosophies that all four of us in Jade share is one of abundance and sharing. And so we put together a, um, a big handbook to hand out with um, our forms, how we, how we um, uh, structured it, the benefits to coaches, benefit to participants, sort of everything somebody could possibly want to know. And people came up to us and said, oh, this has been very inspiring. Um, there was a woman from Saskatchewan who felt the same uh, gap we did when she graduated, like, how do I improve my skills? And this was exactly what she was looking for. She wants to start something similar out west. So I think the more we can help share with one another, um, we could, who knows, maybe even develop a network of like organizations across Canada. So um, it was exciting. You can set it up like a franchise thing. (laughs) Sell franchises. Today, Canada. Tomorrow, the world. Really? Yeah. All over? All over the world. One step at a time? World domination, that's what we're planning. In mediation? Yes. Yes. And that's very interesting. We can have another show about that. We could. You, you were there, too. Yes. You were part of the uh, yes, I was. presenting. Yes, I was there. And how'd you, how'd you it feel was so about much it? fun. Yeah. It was so much fun. And it was really, we felt so grassroots. We felt the excitement of starting something that was not your typical thing for a bunch of mediators and arbitrators, lots of lawyers, lots of kind of establishment kind of people. And um, we were some, certainly something different. So you're hoping, for, when you use the word grassroots, something that would re- really resonate with a broad sector of the audience that were at the conference. But also I think for me, grassroots means we offer it for free. We want to make it accessible to people. Um, it's a very sort of relaxed format. It's not highfalutin. Um, uh, yeah. And, and it's organic. I mean, it's it's not something, a structure that we impose on other people. It's a community, and it, it grows from everyone who's part of it has something to share and something to offer and has a part in growing it. Well, I think when you say it's not structured... I would say it is structured. It is structured. It's structured in a very organic way. Yeah. And flexible, and it, it's in motion, and it adapts to the different kinds of settings. Because I think one of the principles is that uh, each of the coaching sessions presents a different form or approach of mediation practice. That's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to provide a variety. Yeah, and and our focus at the at the Adric conference was to provide kind of the seed. 
with all the elements that you needed to to kind of put this kind of thing together, but then it's up to you to grow it and nurture it in your own environment and and watch it grow into what you want. Yeah. No, it was it was very exciting and it was really wonderful for the for us to be there. It's sort of like it's all come to this and it was great to be able to be there and to be well received and um, and we actually felt it was a real vote of confidence that um, Adric cho- chose us to do a workshop there. Was it video recorded too? No. Because no. I know some of the sessions in the, yeah. in the past are recorded. They do the, um, if it's a really large session, uh, they do record it, but most three of uh, the four sessions for each time slot were not recorded. Okay, so yeah. what's the, the next step for you guys with us? We have a very um, extensive schedule for into June for Jade, but um, for in terms of the Adric conference, we're going to apply for next year. It's going to be held in Montreal, and uh, we'll see if we can do an update. Yeah, and one of the things that was really exciting out of the conference is we had um, a number of professional uh, mediators step forward and volunteer to be coaches. So we didn't even approach them. They just came up and said, hey, I heard about Jade. If you're looking for somebody um, to help coach, I'd like to do restorative justice or different areas. Uh, we had um, quite a number of volunteer, so which is great. Okay, I mean, there's no lacking for interest to, through it. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to have such a wealth of potential resources. We feel that way. Yeah. 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 So good luck with that. Debbie, in terms of your professional work, a lot of it involves dealing with people who are experiencing conflict, sometimes going through very difficult circumstances. How are you affected by people who are going through the conflict? Um, there's not a sort of one easy answer. It really depends. The full extreme. So there are times when I feel I can work with people and help them repair a relationship and get beyond the conflict, and that's very gratifying. Um, I also have situations, I actually had one uh, recently, where one of the participants is just so angry, and they almost seem to me they're committed to remain angry. And and when I'm talking with them, particularly in the pre-coaching sessions, uh, pre-mediation sessions rather, I just feel all this anger coming at me, and often I find those sessions very draining, so I really need to sort of use positive talk with myself and uh, take a break afterwards. So a whole range of things, um, depending what, you know, how people present themselves in the room and how the process has gone. I mean, you you are a human being. You are a professional when you're in the role. At the same time, you're always the base as a human being, the foundation. Absolutely. So we are affected by circumstances. Yeah. No matter how much we try to vet or organize our our relationship in relation to someone else. Absolutely. So that can be a challenge. I know from my own experiences that we can, you know, be heavily affected. And one of the tools I use is I use some humor. Discretionary, of course. I'm not going to be a stand-up routine. Though, you know, what's a laugh for? Just laughing because you're a funny guy. Yeah. But you also don't want to be seen as minimizing a person's distress. So you have to be very skillful and artful in your judicious use of humor. Yeah, and I appreciate when I said to you, what are you laughing for? People hearing that, I'll say, whoa, that could be serious. <laughs> Yet they don't have the appreciation that I may have had a smile on my face and mm-hmm. when I'm seeing you, it's not necessary. In the, that's a joke, too, just discretionary and humor. You, and you can receive things with lightness. 
you know, it's it's not it's not just how you someone sends it; it's also how it's received. Mm-hmm. And we have to know our audience, especially when absolutely. and our clients, yeah, absolutely. when we're engaging with people. So there's a constant stream of events happening at one time in life. Much of it negative in terms of how it impacts people and their lives, especially in an emotional way. The term emotionally flooding comes to mind. What does emotionally flooding mean? So um, emotional flooding is when people are overwhelmed with negative emotion and um, feel that they can't control their emotions. They just feel overwhelmed by it. And um, I want to just clarify the context that I'm speaking at, at it, uh, about it because if you do a Google search on emotional flooding, it's in lots of different contexts. I'm referring specifically to here to when people are thinking about all the negative events that are happening in the world, particularly as communicated through the news. Um, every day when you open your newspaper or listen to the news, it, you're, you're flooded with negative news. There's, you know, terrorism, mass shootings, natural disasters, Trump and his antics, all the recent revelations of the um, sexual misconduct and se- sexual harassment in Hollywood. It's, it's endless. And these are all things that we have no control over. And that, I think, adds to that feeling of being emotionally flooded. Um, the other thing I want to mention is Emotional flooding, being emotionally flooded is one response that people have. Not everybody has the same response. So um, they're different ones. So, for instance, um, some people will withdraw that they listen to the news and it's too much and they need to um, put some distance between themselves and the news and they'll just withdraw. Um, other people will be experiencing something and they put a lid on it to try to contain it and pretend that everything is fine and back to normal. But as we know, with emotions, uh, they don't go away. So when you suppress them, they come out some way, and not always in the way that you would like them to come out. Um, Some people get agitated by it, and their response would be sort of a more of an aggressive one. Um, If you're in an interaction with them, they'll be frustrated or short-tempered, things like that. And there's also um, a response that people have to what in the recent press has been called disaster porn. And what I mean by that, um, with all the uh, disaster pictures of disaster, visual pictures of dis- disaster that you see on your phone or on the telev- television, they're me- they can be mesmerizing. So you see this um, terrible disaster, you see frightened people, you see some people displaying heroics, helping the people out, um, and it can be mesmerizing. And people sometimes get addicted to those kinds of things. And like with all forms of porn. Um, it has a numbing effect. So people that are addicted to that kind of thing, there's a numbing effect and they become desensitized to it. And what they crave are even more uh, dramatic images of trauma, of uh, disaster. So there can be a whole range of things. So it raises, so there's there's some kind of connection for people with this kind of imagery. It has a response or reaction within one. After, you know, gauging with that, there reaches a level where people are no longer affected to the same as they were originally. And so in order to get some kind of reaction response, they need to get a stronger mm-hmm. amount exactly. of... Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. It's stimulation. It's stimulation. And, and our society has gotten to the point where there's so much stimulation available from so many different sources, sources yeah, that... Um, People just need more and more and more to be entertained, to be stimulated. So politics is turned into entertainment. 
And I think one of the things that's contributed to that is that um, there's such competition now for people's attention. So at one point it just used to be the news stations, and now there's you know social media, there's uh, it's just a, a multitude of sources of news. And so all these forums are competing for viewers' attention. And so they dramatize things. Um, you would, at one point, I think years ago, the news was just reported, and now the news is emotionalized and dramatized. And, um, and that has a huge impact on what people um, see and expect. And I would say usually from a negative perspective, it's usually bad, you know, bad mm-hmm. news cells. Absolutely. Not good news stories per se. Yeah. Well, and if you look at what's happened, you know, occasionally if I turn on CNN, they sensationalize everything. So it'll be something like, you know, um, you know, we're on the edge of verge of nuclear a nuclear war potentially. So everything is um, you know, sensationalized. And I think that really even just saying that, I feel myself getting all mm-hmm. ramped up. Well, I remember I'd be in a hotel room and I would have I could tell whether it was the American news or the Canadian news without even looking at it because just because of the music, mm-hmm. the the tone of voice, the dramatization, that kind of hyped up, you know, oh, how corn can destroy your life yeah. or, you know, just everything is so sensationalized. Um, and, and they use techniques yes. to bring that to light like the music the music yeah you know movies do that television shows do that when things get to a dramatic moment they're trying to you know get you to focus on something the tone of voice yeah or they're yelling at you really fast and it's just like constant haranguing so how, how can we tell if we are being emotionally flooded well people that are um self-aware I think can feel it, that they just feel um, overwhelmed, they feel um, uh, a loss of control, the feeling that, you know, let's make it go away, I've had enough already. Um, I think sometimes when people aren't necessarily aware of it in themselves, what happens is they, their response is, is a reactive one. It's not a thoughtful response. It triggers that old um, stress hormone, and it's um, our old evolutionary brain, the, the fight or flight. And so I think some people, when they get overwhelmed, they and aren't necessarily conscious of it. They are reactive. They get impatient. They get um, cynical yeah, sometimes. Cynical, angry. And I think the other thing is um, it depends also what's going on in people's life outside of this whole thing. There was a um, an interesting study done. This was actually quite a while ago um, in 1997 by a British psychologist named uh, Dr. Graham Davy. And he was studying the psychological impact of um, negative news on people. And he divided people into three groups, um, and they were each exposed to 14 minutes of a news story. So one was only getting negative news, one was only positive, so things like people winning the lottery, etc., and one was neutral. So as you would expect, the people that were exposed to the negative news, they, um, they reported uh, greater feelings of sadness and anxiety. But... It also had an impact on listening to negative news on people's worries that they came in with. As part of the study, people were interviewed initially to ask, you know, what concerns do you have? And then after the watching of the news stories, they were interviewed a second time. And people that had watched the negative news had a far greater uh, expression of concern about their worries. It had gotten worse. 
So the watching negative news can exacerbate your own natural worry. So whatever's going on in your life, if you're constantly exposed to negative things, it makes your worries all the greater. So I, I found that really fascinating. You know, each person also is an individual. And yes, some people will react to something and this, another person will respond to the same thing. Yeah. And each in their own way and to different depths and different degrees. So there's not one whole way. We're trying to present that this is something that's out there. Absolutely. And it's also to raise conscious level for that information and to see, you know, by having these conversations, all right, get more aware. And then if you know someone or even yourself, then maybe it's an opportunity to find other ways. And we'll talk more later on in the show about how to sort of address this or strategize to work Absolutely. through this. So what difference can it make on us if we are emotionally flooded? What's the, who cares? Well, I think, I mean, for sure it can impact our relationships, but if I can sort of speak more narrowly right now in, say, in people's work as a conflict resolution professional, I think when, um, again, we talked about people have different reactions when they're emotionally flooded. But say, for instance, somebody somebody's reaction is just to try to put a lid on it and suppress what they're feeling. We, as human beings, we can't selectively s suppress one emotion and let the other go. So if you are suppressing negative feelings, you also suppress joy. And um, if, as a, as a conflict resolution professional, if we've just suppressed our feelings, I believe that that can really impact how you are in the moment with the people that you're working with, that you aren't fully there. It's almost like there's a bit of a, um, a veil between you and them. Um, and that's why it's really so important to be self-aware um, and self-awareness on two different levels. One is um, cognitively understanding how things impact you, but also being self-aware in the moment of how things are um, reacting. So it's really learning how to manage ourselves um, through self-awareness. If somebody, another reaction people have to be emotionally flooded is they may lash out. They may, it may be overwhelming and they may be reactive and they may be angry or short-tempered, whatever. Again, if you're uh, working with clients and a client is doing something uh, and you are feeling impatient or whatever, you have to watch yourself in terms of how you are with them and manage, manage your reactions. So there's a range of things, um, and just sort of extending beyond work relationships and personal relationships, when people are um, emotionally flooded, um, sometimes people aren't necessarily thinking rationally. That it's a react, it's you're being more reactive. You aren't thinking through um, rationally, and that can impact um, relationships, how you are with people. So really needing to um, a uh, have a hopefully a supportive friendship or a relationship where somebody's noticing that in you and can sort of say, hey, I noticed something is um, going on. But also, again, being self-aware so that you truly are in the, mo in the moment and you aren't just being carried by your reaction to all the negative stuff that's happening in the world. Yeah, and when we do meet as third parties, mediators, with individuals who are going through, quote, conflict, and we only stick with the surface, what we see and not question what we don't see. Mm -hmm. So using the symbolism, uh, as we presented here a number of times, of the iceberg to represent a person or a situation, a person is behaving a certain way or doing a certain thing or acting a certain way or not a certain way. And as a mediator, 
I think it's our intention to go below the surface to question, okay, this is what's going on that way. Why is that happening? Exactly. So a lot of what could be going on for people is below the surface and the emotional concerns. Absolutely. And and, um, and maybe this is a different way of also uh, describing what you've just said. Is It's so important to understand the context. Like, as you said, looking beyond just what you see in front of you and try to understand the larger context in which those people are. Yeah, to get more story, yeah. more perspective. So I see this is what's, you've said this is what's going on. Let me learn more about this. Help me understand. Explain, okay, so when did this start? When did when do you think things started to change? You know, asking open-ended questions. Absolutely. Because we don't want to fill in the blanks. Yeah. It's not about us. It's about the individuals going through the circumstances. Absolutely. So how, how has the whole sense of being or feeling emotionally flooded different today from years past? I mean, is this a, a new kind of concept? I, you know, I think people probably have always been emotionally flooded. Um, probably years ago when you were dealing with uh, animals, wild animals, and um, uh, it was more just a, um, a, a true uh, fight or flight. I think what's different today is, uh, and again, within the context of news, we operate in a world where the news is 24-7 and with social media and what we just said a, a few moments ago about sensationalizing the news. And there's just such a huge volume of news. And it's like, a, you know, at one time what went on in the other part of the world was, you know, far removed. And now the world is your doorsteps. There's just so much, uh, an overwhelming volume of news. And I think all that is different today than it used to be. Um, and even just things like fake news. You know, we have to now discern what is real news, what's not real news, and um, the onus is on the listener, obviously. So I do think it's a different world. Yeah, that's what I was going to say about not even being able to necessarily trust the institutions that we used to trust to bring us the, the in quotation marks, truth. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's a, it's a much grayer area now, um, with everyone accusing everyone else of, of being fake and, and what really is the truth and, and our, and science being, being challenged and, and, um, academics being challenged and knowledge itself being challenged. Yeah, and so people, I think, I think that's an excellent point. People don't know what to believe, like what's real. And and so that in combination with all the negative things, I just I, I think all that contributes to overwhelm. Well, yeah, because it makes you feel very um, unsteady. Like you don't know, you don't have any ground under your feet. You yeah. don't know if you don't know what's real, then you have nowhere to plant your feet. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah I mean the past. Yes, with technology, there's no limitation for time. It's like spontaneous. In the past, it took time for the news to travel. Absolutely. So now it's like, even in the moment, it's already in the past because of the way technology works and certain social media streams. And then people have changed their engagement with the use of these um, forms of social media and technology. Absolutely. And people have transformed how they deal, react, and respond. And yes, there's it's such a broad scope of possibilities. Absolutely. And the other thing I find is people want um, things quickly. They want it quickly. They just want a snapshot of the news. 
And what I personally really miss, I miss that in-depth reporting, you know, investigative reporting where they really get into stories in depth. Um, I just find what's what's happening is there's a trend to just making things, you know, quick and snappy. Well, headline news, I mean, that concept is yep. more recent than our And time. tweets. Yeah. 140 characters, although it's being expanded to twice so, the so number. So we're, we're, we're products of being conditioned by our environment, which has a lot to do with technology. And so as human beings, we maybe lack or don't acquire the same kinds of skill sets to deal with all these dramatic events in, in life. And then if we're going through circumstances in our family, conflict and a relationship is uh, fracturing or we're going through an issue with a neighbor or something at workplace it's going to be compounded if we're Absolutely. also you know hearing of the stuff in the world Absolutely. and we can't process even that stuff uh, in our relationship which can be pro- very profound anyways and then c- compound it with the other stuff or does the other stuff in the world compound how we deal with our personal relationship, too. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And I wonder whether each of us have our own threshold. So you have your threshold of what you can tolerate. And if you are not listening to all the negative news and say you're having a conflict with your neighbor, you may have more energy and mental energy to deal with it. But if you are dealing with all this um, negative news and feeling overwhelmed by that and you have to deal with your neighbor, you just may just feel totally tapped out, not have the... You know, it, it's a, you've reached your threshold. You can't take anymore. Well, I used to, when I was working in the hospital, I used to not watch the news. I would listen in the morning, usually, to a morning show while getting ready for work, and I just didn't listen to the news. And there was one to, and I didn't even know when, you, you know that beheading on the, yes, yes. on the Greyhound bus happened? I knew nothing about it. And people made fun of me because, what, you never heard of the beheading on the Greyhound bus? And I'm like, no, I don't listen to the news. Because I couldn't take that much because the the environment I was immersed in was so full of these kinds of crises and dramas. and You were saturated. I was saturated. And it's good, though, that you knew your limits. Yeah. You knew what you needed to do for self-preservation. And it's like, I can do without hearing about a beheading on a on a Greyhound bus. Well, I think most of us could. <laughs> right? I mean, the thing is, if you're going through circumstances that have a reach a threshold, we're looking for some kind of out or change from that, mm-hmm. not to be totally 24 hours, seven days a week consumed with that kind of mindset and input that's engaging on us. And really, we're going to be affected maybe for the long term so yeah you find other possibilities but then when you go to those other possibilities and it's also about this emotionally charged matters where do you where do you get the possibilities of getting quote and out so what are the ways that people usually deal with matters of conflict in their life as a you know as a working professional um i see a whole range of them so um i see people that avoid conflict so they just they uh, deny that it's there and um, uh, and it builds up. Um, I see people that um, they they blame other people rather than taking responsibility for themselves. I see people um, tuning out in communication. So you stop. Um, it stops being a dialogue between two people. You you uh, something's gone off the rails and you create your whole uh, your own story about it. 
and the story is not necessarily based in reality, but it's your perception of reality. And when you have two people doing that, that you know, it, they butt up against one another. Um, um, and then I also see people where um, they are in conflict because of the context of the group they're in. They what what be, do you mean by that? There might be in a work group that it is the, the group as a whole is very dysfunctional. It's not being managed very well by the senior person, and the way people are given roles and responsibilities contributes to the conflict. And so the conflict between the two people can trace be a result of all that. Um, and so as you dig, as I dig further with them, I can see that it's a much bigger problem. You find out the roots of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, people, we're a product of, so if you're under, in a workplace, for example, like you focus your process with, if somebody in a supervisory or leadership role or management role, if they're whatever style and it's dysfunctional, would not by extension their team uh, also be dysfunctional? So I, I had one situation not too long ago where, with the people's permission, uh, I said, um, would you be uh, okay if I mentioned to the HR person that I think a workplace assessment would be helpful to your work unit? And they said yes. And, uh, and I did recommend it to HR because I thought that that was really what was at the root of what was going on um, and needed to happen. Which is about also trying to deal with change. Mm -hmm. Well, change is, for me, ever-present and ongoing and constant. It's how we engage with our moments, whether we take some responsibility or let things happen to us. And so if we can be more actively involved, though in order for change, for us to engage, we have to be open to engage the change and not be in denial or avoidance. Absolutely. The other thing about um, change and how we engage with it is I'm, I'm thinking about the three of us. We're of the same generation. I think I can say that we well, are the same generation and our generation started out in, at a time when change was happening, but at a reasonable rate. And then all of a sudden it just accelerated mm -hmm. exponentially. And so here we are with our our repertoire of, of, of ways of dealing with change and adjusting to change, and then it just gets fast-forwarded beyond belief. And how do we even deal with the, the rapid rate of change when we are not built that way and that's not in, in our... Or we're built a different way. Yeah. You know, the different next generations after us are in a different connection with time and change. It's like they pop out knowing how to Google, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like they, they, they know how to set up your, your new computer in when they're 18 months old. Well, I, I think I actually told you the story, not quite 18 months old, but I was working on a work project, and um, my son Dan was... I was six years old at the time, and my computer froze. And I must have, I guess I swore or something. And he said, Mommy, what's wrong? And I said, Oh, my computer just froze. And he goes, Oh, I know how to fix that. So here he is, this six-year-old little kid, comes over, and he pressed an F function and something else, and it fixed it. And I said, How did you know that? And he goes, Well, I had the same problem last week, and I tried different things, and this is what worked. Was, what do you do, go to school already? He like was grade one. I, wow. I just thought, oh, my goodness. But just so at ease. Watch that, kid. He's been reading behind your back. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, how, how do we learn not to become like our clients? 
in how we deal with conflict, and it's sometimes emotionally flooding potential. I think for me, I mean, each of us has to speak for ourselves, but um, I I always learn a lot from my clients, both uh, positive and negative. The negative meaning how not to be. Um, I see so often how um, people. Um, one of the major sources of conflict that I see is really poor communication, where people haven't communicated their expectations or something's not worked out and they, they haven't talked about it. And as I mentioned before, they create their own stories, each of them, and then it, it, create, it creates a life on its own. Um, and so for me, it's a reminder to, if I'm ha- unhappy about something, to always um, address it when the time is right and to do it respectfully but not let things fester and get out of hand and to be curious, to check out the other person's perspective. Don't assume that the, what, what my interpretation of it is correct. Um, so I think that's um, a really important one that, uh, that, um, that I've learned. Is there anything you want to add? Uh, I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm thinking, too, about even amongst our colleagues where you would you would imagine that um, a room full of conflict resolvers would be able to communicate with each other in a way that that fosters resolution and understanding. Well, they can't communicate. It's the question is whether it's effective and meaningful and productive. Well, yeah, but a lot of times what I see in the, our groups of colleagues is not that. What do you see then? I see them losing control of their own selves, of their own, they get, it, it seems like people get emotionally flooded. Yeah, and reactive. And reactive, and I do too. I mean, it's something that I work on really hard. Um, Though the, the most important part of what that is, is that you're self-aware. Right. Sometimes people just get caught up and they are not aware. They're not connected to that happening. Yeah, and they have no idea they're coming across in this, like, really non-professional and non-productive way. Well, some boundaries as well. I mean, taking on ownership of people's stuff is a challenge for us as, you know, regular human beings. And then to put it to a point where somebody's professionally trained to understand and discern, to separate mm-hmm. with boundaries that, yes, we assist people in a compassionate, empathic way. At the same time, we don't take ownership of it. Exactly. There's a separation for us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's like it's, you know, you, you can't um, mediate your own dispute kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. yeah. But you have to be able to mediate yourself. And your own, and and regulate your the way you express your concerns and your interests and your emotions. Absolutely. And I would say too, with the, the comment about people within the profession taking on sometimes the perspectives of other people, and they get caught up. You know, as third parties, we're not to take sides. We don't side. Uh, we're not biased or partial towards one side. We have to remain impartial that we're not taking on sides because otherwise we get up get caught up in the agendas of one and then our credibility is undermined when you know we take the stories the effect of someone and not be able to you know compartmentalize in some way that when we engage with the other person we're not projecting what the other person has conveyed to us as a, you know there there clearly needs to be and sometimes too many of the professionals within our scope our field are also somewhat too competitive 
You think? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is sort of a contradiction with our process, but that's the reality. Like I, I, you know, it's not only exclusive to our profession. So what are some effective ways we can turn an emotionally flooding situation into a positive situation? Well, I think there are um, a number of things. Uh, these are uh, tactics that people can use. So one is um, acting as their own gatekeeper. So knowing um, how much information that you can take in um, uh and when that when you've hit that threshold, putting a limit again, I'm thinking of negative uh, negative news again. Um, knowing when you've reached your threshold and cutting off. So we want to most people want to keep informed on what's happening in the world. And so what you do is limit it to 20 minutes or whatever, and then say, okay, that's enough. I don't need to watch it all the time. So I think acting as your own gatekeeper is an important one. Um, being self-aware, which we've talked about a few times. And it's on two different levels. One is on the cognitive level in terms of what you know. So one of the things you may know cognitively is how too much emotional flooding could lead you to feel numb, which is not good in your relationships either personally or professionally. Um, But the second part of self-awareness is knowing how you are in the moment. So in the moment to be, you know, aware of what's going on in your body, your heart rate, your muscles tensing up, um, all those things just to assess whether you, f- you feel like um, you're in a space that you don't want to be. Um, another thing that's really important is self-care, to make sure we look after ourselves, that we're uh, well-rested, that we have good relationships, supported relationships, and doing positive things that replenish us and nourish us and give us joy. I think it's important to do that to create a balance to all the negative stuff that happens in the world. And even perhaps something like taking a mindfulness-based stress reduction course, just some technique to help you um, uh, calm yourself. Um, and then lastly, just trying to find a balance in our lives. So I know it's not always possible for uh, everyone that they may have to work multiple jobs to earn a living, but where possible, if people can try to find a balance so you are doing work, you have time socially, you have time to nurture yourself, um, time for self-care. I think that's really important to counterbalance all the negative stuff that's happening in the world. Okay. Do you have anything before we close? Yeah, I also think that um, it, it's a matter of reframing things, too, and, and being gentle with yourself when you do lose it, when you when you are emotionally flooded and you lose you lose it, and and maybe even reframing it in terms of well if i didn't care so much about you i wouldn't be be yeah. losing my mind here and being able to forgive yourself and forgive other people when they do lose it yeah actually that i think that's an important one the forgiveness piece yeah yeah and i think too that as an individual we're not just going to magically you're experiencing this and you're so overwhelmed with it and then all of a sudden try this and magically the next moment you're going to be another way everybody's different and gradually maybe a little, a little, a little at a time and hopefully build something to transition from where you can't address it as well and then to something that's hopefully something better. So I want to thank you very much for coming My tonight, pleasure. Debbie. Thank you for having me back. And for sure, it'll be another invitation. We'll figure out something else next time. And thank you, Elfie, for your contribution. My pleasure. All right. You are listening to, have been listening to Mediation Station on CHHA. 16.10 a.m. Thanks for listening.